Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. I'm always grateful to the Lord the way he works things out. You know, I began this... um, I began this uh, study of Acts a few weeks ago, (laughs) some time ago. And, um, you know, when I'm trying to figure out on Sunday nights, it's a little difficult because we've got a lot of things that we do on Sunday nights. I'm not always in the pulpit, which is okay and it's fine. It's just hard to distinguish when I'll be at a certain point and all of those kinds of things. Well, I realized about two or three weeks ago that I would be preaching about the deacons on from Acts chapter 6 on Deacon Nomination Sunday. And I said, you know what, God, you just kind of confirmed that. I appreciate that. God, I'm thankful to you for doing that because I think this is a very important thing as you look at this passage. You, you really see what God intended for those early deacons, and you see how God meant to use those deacons really to affect the growth of the church and to overcome the issues that they were facing. And I want you to see this. Acts chapter 6, it's great the way Dr. Luke lays this out for us. He says, now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying. Now get that. He says the church is growing. There are people that are coming to faith in Christ and they are following the apostolic teaching. They're following Christ Jesus. They're giving their hearts to the Lord. So you've got this great time in the life of the church. Now, even in the midst of the persecution that was occurring, remember back in chapter 5, we had just seen the Sanhedrin, the council of the Jews say to these apostles, stop teaching the name of Jesus. We told you not to go out and do that. And we tell you again, do not teach the name of Jesus. And just so that you'll remember, we'll beat you some and hopefully you won't do what we've told you not to do. Well, you remember back in verse 42, it says, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They kept on. They were faithful. So this shouldn't surprise any of us. If they're continually teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ, what's going to occur? People are going to come to faith in Christ. That's kind of the way this thing works. We teach and we preach the name of Christ. We hold up the name of Christ. And in some way, you're going to see the progress of the church. You're going to see people come to faith. God's going to use that. He always has. He always has. And he will continue to do that. So here the church is multiplying, even in the midst of persecution, as the disciples are faithful in their teaching and their preaching. And it says that in the midst of this, in the great moments, there arose a complaint. This is the way you can tell that we have Baptist ancestry in the book of Acts. Just underline it right out to the side, must be Baptist Everything's going great. Everything is going awesome. Yes, the persecution, but people are getting saved, as I mentioned. I mean, they can't, they're singing, is it eight verses of Just As I Am, Jeremy? They're singing all eight verses. Every Sunday they come together, and and it's just unbelievable the things that are occurring. But in the midst of that, you have a complaint. Now, some people complain just to complain. Have you met some of those folks before? 
married to some of those folks. Some people we understand, they just complain and complain. They, they just murmur. It doesn't matter. Ask Moses. He met a few folks like that. And if you read the book of Numbers, you'll see that the people of God there always seemed to be complaints. They were always murmuring. I, the book of Numbers, I, I, used to, I used to use that book and use that study when we would go off on youth retreats or youth trips. When I was a youth minister and we were gearing up, I would take them to the book of Numbers, maybe two or three Sundays before we'd leave. I'd always do this too. And I would show them the different complaints, how people complained and murmured and all that. And I would remind them of some of the consequences. Book of Numbers, you with me here? I love I loved pointing out like Korah's rebellion. That's the one that really I loved. Do you remember that? They complained against Moses' leadership and what happened? The earth just opened up, swallowed those complainers, and that was it. So I used to tell my youth, complain, complain. You never know. God did it once. He might do it again. That church van, that church bus just, just might just disappear. Is there? I've grown and matured since that. I don't tell people that now. Just my children, not anybody else would I tell that now. But there's some people that just complain. I understand that. But here... Let me qualify this. Here, there is a legitimate complaint, a legitimate complaint that is being brought to the apostles. And here, I want you to see a challenge that this early church faces. I mean, in chapter 5, and really already in the book of Acts, you see that most of the challenges have come from outside of the church. It's been an outward challenge. Uh, officials, authorities, those who are coming and challenging the advancement of the gospel. But here you have a real issue that could hinder the advancement of God's gospel proclamation, the progress of the church. You have a real issue, and it's more inwardly focused. Here you have a church issue. They've got to deal with this, or the gospel may be hindered in going forth. It is a legitimate concern, a legitimate complaint that has to be dealt with. So look at this. We need to be reminded, yes, that there are outward challenges that we'll face when we're preaching the gospel, but we also recognize that there are inward challenges that we must face. And sometimes it can be in the good times. I've noticed that even when a church grows, you have some issues. Now, I've always said they're good issues. I've always been thankful for those good problems to have because a church is growing. But we have to find ways, functional, practical ways to address them. So notice what happens here. It says there, there's a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, the Greeks, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, see, this is why I call it a legitimate concern. The early church, they're supposed to be taking care, just like us. We're supposed to be taking care of the most vulnerable of society. And here, in this case, the widows, the Greek widows, are somehow being neglected. So we need to overcome this, or otherwise this could cause such a dispute in the church. It could cause an ethnic dispute, a racial dispute. It could cause just a 
it could, do you know what thing what things can cause in the church sometimes even small things you've never been a part of a small little southern baptist church have you that just little things can become big things if you're not careful and little things that become big things prevent you from giving the testimony to the community that you should so here they are with this challenge uh, this issue that could cause a church to experience disunity to experience fragmentation and it says in verse 2 the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said it is not desirable that we should leave the word of god and serve tables basically says we can't do all this by ourselves we're trying to teach we're trying to we, we can't do it all i think that's good leadership too I think we as staff, we as deacons, we as Sunday school teachers, we as any kind of leadership, we need to be reminded we can't do this all by ourselves. And neither should we. God did not put us in there to be the superhero of the church and do everything for the church. God has called us all to function with something called spiritual gifts. Heard a message on that anytime recently? Spiritual gifts, everybody is to contribute. So he says, it's not desirable, we can do this. He says in verse 3, or the 12 in verse 3, say, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So he said, what we want you to do is you look among yourselves and you find seven people, seven men that we can appoint to this business. So it wasn't the 12 saying, we're going to appoint. They say, we want you to do that. Now, that explains a little bit of our Baptist polity. When we do deacon nominations and our deacon elections, there are pros and there are cons of every deacon nomination and election I've ever been a part of. I could tell you, these are the good parts of it. These are not so good parts. These are... But basically what we hope to reflect within our practice is the same type of polity, the same type of practice that these 12, they looked and said, we may not know every, you choose from among you. We want you to do that. And what we want you to do is look for these kind of people, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom. Now, I know it's not broken out for us to say these are the deacons, but the seven, these are the, at least the forerunners of the deacons. And these are pretty good qualifications. They may not be broken down individually for us, but good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Those three aspects. Those three aspects alone should define each deacon that God calls within his church. Oh, yeah. And let me say this. We don't make deacons. We don't call deacons. A church does not appoint a deacon. God does that. And all he does within us is confirm the deacon he's already called. You should look for somebody that's 
that's already demonstrating good reputation, that they have already demonstrated spiritual power and strength, and they've already demonstrated wisdom. They've already shown themselves faithful. Later on, Paul will say not to ordain a, a novice to the ministry itself. You elect a deacon because that individual is already a deacon. And God just confirmed through you in the Holy Spirit as he's worked in your life that that person is a deacon. When I was growing up, there was this tendency in some of our churches to just kind of put people in certain positions and hope that they would be a little more faithful. For example, I've heard a pastor and others say before, well, you know what we need to do? They're not coming to Sunday school faithfully, so what we need to do is we need to make them Sunday school teacher. I mean, you think I'm kidding, but the idea was you put them in a leadership and then they'll be more faithful. Well, I've seen that occur a time or two. I've been a part of nominating committees where we actually, it happened a time or two. But what occurred three months later is we had to find a new Sunday school teacher for that class. Because get this, God's not called us to put people in places of responsibility hoping that they will be faithful. He has said, look for their faithfulness, and then place them in positions of leadership. That's the way God calls us to look at individuals, to examine their lives, to follow the leadership of the Spirit in who we are, and then make that choice. That's the reason I say to you again, as I said this morning, it is a very serious moment for us as a church when we go through deacon nomination, deacon election. It is a very it is a very significant event in the life of the church to find individuals that have good reputation, that are full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And it says here whom we may appoint over this business. You might want to write to the side it doesn't mean that they're appointed over the business. Now, don't get me wrong. Oh, some of you all of a sudden gave me a bad look. Remember, I can see y'all too. You can see me, I can see y'all too. I'm not saying that the deacons, they can be a great sounding board, a place where we kind of work through things. I've always believed that in the church's life. I'd rather make sure that we as a leadership that we're on board and we can talk through some of the nitty-gritty things before we even come to the church and, and to the full body. But notice it's over this business. What is this business? Serving the tables. Taking care of the widows. Functional, practical, whatever we can do. That's the reason I have contended, and you will hear me over the years. Yes, I'm planning on being here sometime. You will hear me over the years contend over and over that the number one responsibility of a deacon is to keep the fellowship of the church. To keep the fellowship of the church. Is that not what the problem is? The problem is that they're having an issue of fellowship. The, the church could face fragmentation, and thus the gospel would be affected. The deacons here, they come together to keep the fellowship of the church. 
whatever it takes, whatever role that they have to assume. If it's waiting tables, if it's dealing with some thorny issues that come before the church, they are the ones that help keep the fellowship of the church. And may I just say this tonight, and I don't mean this um, in some type of glib way. I, I want you to, I am thankful for the men that God has placed here as deacons and that I have served with this last year. I'm thankful because I, I experience a spirit of unity when I come in. There's no talk of LSU Ole Miss, thankfully, when we come into those meetings. But there is a spirit of unity. There is a spirit of wanting to see what God is doing. And I am thankful for that and what I've seen thus far. And what we need to do is continue to be faithful to select such men that would be functional, practical, making a difference. Now, understand that every deacon is different. One of the reasons that we're trying to embrace a kind of a ministry team concept right now of where we have different ones that of our active council that will give some leadership to uh, maybe uh, visiting some of our homebound or working with uh, in visiting some of the hospitals and doing some different things. We're trying to work on that now. Some of you that some of you that are not actively serving now Guess what you're going to get from me in just a week or two? You're going to get a little letter. Don't let your wife throw it away. Or don't blame her if it gets thrown away. I want you to read it. I want you to look at where you might be because I also, I'll put my cards on the table, at least with this. I believe that if you're ordained a deacon, you're always a deacon. Whether you're on the active council or not. Now, I'm not calling everybody to be active. I'm just saying that once you are set aside for this deacon ministry, you should always be a deacon. God hasn't said, just simply dismissed you from service. And what I would ask you to do is when you get this, you think about it, you pray about where are these areas that I could plug in and I could make a difference because God hadn't given me a year off or two years off. He's wanting me to continue to serve. The functional, practical areas. Last week, I talked about spiritual gifts, and I said that you ought to look at different areas of the church, and if you see weaknesses, you need to evaluate, is that a place where I should be? Is that area weak because I'm not exercising my spiritual gift there in that place? And maybe I would challenge our deacons. If there's an area of weakness that we see, is it because God is wanting you to plug, plug in and to be functional and practical in the way you address that issue so that overall the ministry is stronger and the gospel goes forth? Well, verse 5, it says, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. They were happy with that. They were okay with the leadership saying, hey, you make the choice. You go and you find people that you believe you believe demonstrate these kinds of qualities. So 
They chose Stephen, and we'll talk more about him later, but a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Par- Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So it says that they selected. It has been mentioned on more than one occasion that these seven names are all Greek names. That shouldn't surprise you. <laughs> Because remember, the Hellenists were complaining that their widows were being neglected. So it made sense that they would pick some of those individuals, those Greeks that were closest to the issue and say, hey, you deal with it. We want you to take care of this. You you know who these people are. They trust you. Minister, serve. So they selected them, they brought them before the apostles, and they prayed and they laid hands on them. You've been to an ordination service, some of you have been, and you'll remember that there's a moment where we actually lay hands. Those who are ordained lay hands on those who are being ordained. You probably remember that. I remember when I was ordained. Uh, a few years ago now, my pastor made me get on my knees. And about 45 minutes later, after all these different ones had passed by, after my hair was disheveled and my eyes had leaked, it was a time of recognition. It was a time of being set apart. Not that that laying on of hands communicated to me strength or power of the Holy Spirit. I've already got the power of the Holy Spirit in me because I'm a believer. So it's not conveyed in laying on of hands. It was just the setting aside, a recognition that was there. Laid on of hands, it says. And then get this, verse 7. This is kind of where I want to Finish this, because I want you to really see this. A lot of times we miss this verse. But it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. They had a deacon election, and what happened? The church church grew. Because of a deacon, I mean, really, isn't that what he's... Dr. Luke is saying that here they were... They were growing, and they dealt with this problem. And when they dealt with this problem, the church just continued to grow and expand. It continued to advance. Now, I told you that the theme of this book is what? You should have it down by now. The triumph of the gospel over every barrier. The triumph of the gospel over every barrier. They had faced all of these external barriers, all of these outward barriers. They had had to face authorities and and they had to face later on the geography and the racial issues. They'll have to face all of that. But in this passage, Dr. Luke reminds us that they also overcome the inward conflict, the struggles of the church. They overcome these internal barriers. So the gospel continued to go forth. Because that's the power of the gospel. It is a power unlike any other. As God through his strength unleashes his people 
with a message of life and a message of hope. And the church continues to grow. And I think that's still the case today. When God would take certainly any individual, but especially a deacon, and he uses that individual to make a difference in a local church, to simply be functional and practical, to simply maintain the fellowship of the church so that the gospel can go forth. I've always believed this, and I will to the day I die, because I think this is what the New Testament reflects. A a united church is always the strongest church. And when you can deal with those issues, and you can deal with them practically, you can focus more on what you need to be focused on. Sharing the good news of Christ with others. I'm quite thankful that the uh, 12 didn't get up and say, well, let me give you some, let me give you a sermon on complaining. You shouldn't do it. It doesn't matter what. They didn't do that. They didn't try to appoint all different committees to go out and seek and see what they needed to do to get it accomplished. Didn't do that, did they? They just said, all right, find us some folks. Let's get it done. Let's get it accomplished. Let's get everybody taken care of because we've got bigger things to do. And there are those moments in the church's life where instead of simply focused on the small things and, and worried about, we just should simply say, let's get these things done because our great God has called us to a great task and we need to be about the proclamation of that good news. Church growth strategy. The election of deacons. That's what you see here as Dr. Luke records it. May we be faithful. I pray we are faithful to look at those individuals that are among us. Select those who are deacons already and confirm as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, confirm those individuals to the deacon ministry so that they'll help maintain the unity of this church and they'll continue to lead and minister accordingly. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you tonight and uh, we bless your name. We thank you for those faithful individuals that you have called and who have served here over many years. Thank you for those And God, when we come to this time in the life of our church, we recognize how dependent we are upon you. God, we pray that this is not some popularity contest. We pray that this is not simply us, um, Lord, just voting our friendships. But Father, what we would do through this time is that we would seek you. That, Lord, you would show us those men that you would have to serve as deacons here at Temple Baptist Church. God, speak to us and help us in this process over the next few weeks. And when we get to the other side, Lord, may we look at it and know that this has been one of the blessed moments of our church's life and that you use even this election
to help grow your kingdom in this community, in this nation, and to the world itself. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?